You know, the highest calling that you could have is to realize what God's love is for us. Amen? Amen. I'm going to read, uh, going to start out with reading a passage from Genesis 2, verse 24. It goes like this. It says, For this reason shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And behold, the man saw this and said it was good, but lo, as the seasons passed and the honeymoon was hence a long time over, verily he began to wonder what he had gotten himself into. Okay, I'm not really sure what translation um, version I got there, but they may have embellished a little bit on that last part there. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we are here to talk about the wonderful God-ordained institution of marriage. And marriage should be wonderful, amen? amen? Amen. How many of you believe that marriage should be something that is heaven on earth? Oasis in the desert, a truly enjoyable experience. You believe that? Amen. No matter how far you've come or haven't come, if you've got a perfect marriage or if your marriage is just hanging on by a thread, maybe you're, you're coming in here and you're saying, boy, this is, this is the last hurrah here. If God doesn't move, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't care where you're at. God could do big things in your marriage. God is never through with your marriage. And furthermore, I believe that God has put every single one of you here together today for a purpose that is greater than than you will ever know, that expands out into areas that's going to impact other people's lives in a far greater way that, that you could ever imagine. So God has good things for you here. Amen. Amen. You know what? If you have a marriage that is less than perfect. You know what? I would rather have a marriage that's battle-tested and you fought through things and you prayed through things and you've been through some imperfect stuff, but they've come out at the end and they're strong and they're on top of things. It's battle-tested. I would take a marriage like that over a marriage that we've never had an argument does that even exist? Newlyweds, does that even happen? You know? Perfect marriage, I love it. Um, I've got a message I've prepared today. It's, uh, it talks about the foundation of marriage, which is love. Hopefully it's love. That's the foundation of your marriage. We're going to talk about the three points, three major points of love as it relates to marriage and the three dynamics of love. So if you're writing those down, three dynamics of love in marriage. Point number one, love is always reciprocal. Love is always mutually beneficial. What do I mean by reciprocal? That means it's two ways. It's mutually beneficial. 
That means that the returns on love, they are, uh, they are inescapable. If you give, you will always receive. It's a law. Jesus talked about this law, the law of sowing and reaping. He says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together. He said, for to him who has, to him will be given more. And he will have an abundance. But to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. What is he talking about with that? Well, what he's talking about is love has a multiplicative, uh, amongst other things, it has a multiplicative, that's a tough word, uh, it has a multiplicative uh, nature to it. In other words, I cannot say that I love God with everything, therefore I have no more love left for you. Okay, does that make sense? You can't say that. Because the more you love, the more it multiplies in your life. The more you have. To, to him who has, more will be given. It multiplies. That's the nature of love. And furthermore, love is reciprocal. When you give it, it is given back to you. You will always receive when you give it out. Several years ago, there was a, a pastor uh, in the Houston area whose wife uh, set, made a statement that uh, set quite a bit of buzz in the, in the Christian world. There's quite a, a few blogs written about it in a, in a critical sense because what she said was, uh, well, let me go ahead and read it for you. I could say her name, but you'd probably already know who it is, pastor in the, in the Houston area. She said this, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. I'm reading it word for word here. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen? When she said that, this, uh, this set off quite a buzz because people were saying, how can you say that we, do, we serve God for ourselves? That God wants us to be happy. I mean, the audacity of that, that God wants good things for us. Um, there's just some different viewpoints on this. Personally, my, my viewpoint on this is that I think that um, if you think that God doesn't want good things for us, then <laughs> uh, that means that you believe that 100% altruism is possible. Now, I'm throwing around a, a hefty word like altruism. Let me explain what I mean by that. Altruism, it simply means serving with no thought of yourself, okay? Giving without, with complete, utter uh, uh, denial of your own benefit, okay? Um, everything that you do, you do with the thought of benefiting yourself, at least at some level, and that's not bad, okay? 
Don't think that benefiting yourself is a bad thing. It's only bad when you're doing it in, in a sinful way. But love will always get back. You see, even God's love, God receives something back for that, from that. When God gives out love, it benefits him. It wasn't meant to be escaped from. It wasn't meant to be something that we, we cast aside. When you do something, I mean, think about this now. Everything that you do, why do you do it? Why become a Christian? Well, why? Well, because God says, says so. Well, why do you want to do what God says? Well, because it's the right thing to do. Well, why? Somewhere along the line, I could keep on asking why and why and why. Somewhere along the line, you have to agree eventually that it's because it benefits me. <laughs> okay? When we do good, there's a motivation there because it benefits me. And it's okay for it to benefit you. Because love, that's how love works, is it's a two-way street. Love will always benefit you as well as the person that you give to. When you give, you always receive back, whether it's tangibly or intangible, just feeling good about yourself, okay? You'll always receive something back, okay? And God, the the highest form of giving that God does through mercy is one where he receives back and he knows he can't receive anything tangible back there. What could you give God? You couldn't possibly give God anything. But he receives back love, gratitude, devotion from us. And that's how he benefits. And that's the highest type of love that we should be striving for. There's, there's, you know, love is, it's like a marketplace. It's like an exchange. It's give and take. But we need to come to a higher level of love like God loves where we're saying, I love just because I want to have that connection, that intimacy. See, love in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for love is ahava. It's a complex word. It, essentially, it means to give. But there is a, uh, uh, there's an addition to that. In the Hebrew Hebrew is a, a very unique language, okay? Many scholars believe that it was the original language, the language that, that uh, God spoke the heavens and the earth into existence with. It was essentially created by God. And it's a very mathematically sound language, even the way it exists today. It, it, this is, it, it's very interesting to note this because in, in the English language, in just about every other language out there, you've got these... Uh, overlaps and kind of these nuances that are kind of weird and you know like in the English language you got the, take the word rose R-O-S-E it can mean a flower or it can mean the past tense of rise you know he rose spelled the same completely different meanings not connected in any way in the Hebrew you don't have that if they're if it's the same meaning they're connected okay well in the in the Hebrew the word ahava to give, there's a, uh, uh, the last part of the word person- personalizes it. It means more like I give. I personally give. That's what love means in the Hebrew language. The original word for love, I give. In other words, I, not just I want to see your needs met, but I want to be the ones to meet your need, to get that connection, okay? 
to have that, that opportunity to get in there and, and to receive that relationship, okay? It's giving, and it's not selfish, but you will receive back. We don't do it selfishly, but there will always be that receiving end, that receiving side of it, of love. Now, the opposite of love, I'd say the opposite of love, sin, is something that's done to take, doesn't it? It does the opposite. It doesn't give. It takes. And it does it selfishly deceived into thinking that it will gain something by taking something away. But we know that the law is just the opposite. How it works is that when you take from somebody, you are in essence destroying yourself too. It may seem you may be deceived for a short time into thinking that you're gaining something, but eventually it will end up in destruction. Just like with love, it may be hard at first, and it may seem like you're, you're giving up and you're not getting anything in return to start out with, but eventually you will receive. You will get. These are laws, okay? These are laws and, and how these things happen. And I want you to, to focus on the, the tangible versus the intangible side of love that I'm talking about. There's a tangible side that we want to receive. We give love tangibly. We want to receive a tangible return on it. But there's a higher place of connection where it's not just a transaction. It's not just an exchange, but it's an actual uh, relationship that is deep that we enter into with love there. Okay? Number two, so number one is love is always reciprocal. It always gives back and forth. Number two, love is deeper than just meeting needs. It's not enough to just meet somebody's needs. Again, it's not enough just to have an exchange, a tangible exchange. There's got to be an intimate connection. When Paul said 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Though I do all of these things that are as wonderful as they may be, yet if I have not love, I have accomplished nothing. I've accomplished nothing. Why? Because God is more interested in making an intimate connection with you, with love, than he is in just obligatorily meeting your needs. Out of obligation and out of making uh, just, you know, love, love wants to, and God will do those things and he will meet those needs, but if we just get it down to a transaction and if we just get it down to, I give you this and I get in return. See, what we should be striving for in marriage is trying to outdo one another the way that we give without receiving things in return other than that intangible affection that, that when you show mercy on somebody and they can't pay you back, the only way that you can receive back from them is that gratitude. It's the only thing that you get back, the gratitude. And you should be making it a, a competition that you're loving so much that your spouse can't keep up with paying you back, that all they could give is that gratitude. All they could give is that devotion. All they could get, you know, in, instead, instead, 
marriages boil down to transactions, this for that. And sometimes they even get stuck in these destructive cycles of I'm selfish and I'm deceived into believing that if I I take and there is no give back, that I could somehow come out ahead on that. What happens, by the way, when, you, when that happens? What happens when you have a spouse that is in that destructive cycle that isn't appreciate your giving and giving and they're not giving back and it seems like you're just going down this place and you know that, that love doesn't look at that, it doesn't keep track of, of rights and wrongs and you just keep on going that way, but where, where do you go with that? Where do you go with that? Where do you go with the selfish spouse that just doesn't seem to be <laughs> taking note of the great amount of love that you're doing? As if you were perfect, but hey, well, we'll no, it's just hypothetical, okay? Where do you go with that? God's Spirit is the only thing that could transform our hearts and let us walk in the right kind of love, Okay? I'm telling you this, a marriage that is found on him. This isn't about just uh, uh, trying harder and trying to behavioral modification, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about allowing God in to come in, and I, I believe that the only way that you could truly, truly spill out and let you... The only way that you could truly begin to comprehend this and walk in the right kind of love is when you fully realize the way that you have been loved by God. And the closer you draw to Him, and the more it fills you, and then it's just a matter of spilling out to how you treat others and how you love others. See, He's given you the ultimate amount of love. And that's the only thing that could change you. That's the only thing that could set you on the new path to, having, to walking in that true type of love, of godly love. That's, a, that's outside of just transactional. Okay? That's the only way to have perfect love. Acknowledge and receive His unconditional love and let it spill out. Go to 1 Corinthians 7. And verse 3 and 4, it says this, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. It means let him take care of her needs, okay? And likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife does not have power over her own body but the husband. And likewise also the husband does not have power over his own body but the wife. This means that you are not sitting there concerned over the transactions, the 50-50, because that's what marriage is. No, this is saying that marriage is a hundred zero, okay? Marriage is about looking at how you could... See, if, if you're 100% devoted to, to meeting your partner's needs and they're 100% devoted to meeting your needs, hello, notice that it doesn't say, remind the other that they belong to you. (laughs) It doesn't say, 
Let the husband remind his wife that she must give him due benevolence. (laughs) This is talking about you. Let the husbands do this. That's what you own. Your attitudes, your actions, your behaviors, the words you speak, you own that. And that's your responsibility. You don't own your wife's. You own yours. And he's telling you, you take care of this. All right? Number three. The third thing. Love is built on the foundation of faith. They go hand in hand. The face of faith is love. Faith without works is dead. And how are we told to put action to faith? By love. By demonstrating love. We need to stand in the gap for our partner if we, if we do love them, we're believing for them, we're praying for them, we're interceding for them. First Corinthians, Paul says, love believes the best. It believes all things. What are you saying about your spouse when they are not around? How are you talking about them? Are you believing the right thing? You know, I could tell in five minutes by listening to somebody whether they're in faith or not. What are the words coming out of your mouth? What kind of things are you believing about them? Are you, are you uh, spreading the things that they're doing that's wrong to the girlfriends, to the guy friends as you hang out? Are you believing God for them? Are you speaking out in faith the way God speaks out over his bride? Amen.